0: Welcome to ASME TechCast, where we bring you the innovators, innovations, and issues that push the envelope of engineering. My name is John Kosowicz, Senior Editor of Mechanical Engineering Magazine and ASME.org. And today, we're talking with Dr. Lonnie Love, who's a Corporate Fellow and Section Head over Precision Manufacturing and Machining at the U.S. Department of Energy's Oak Ridge National Laboratory. He leads many of the large-scale additive, as well as advanced manufacturing for defense programs at the lab. And his team has demonstrated advanced manufacturing technologies on several high-profile projects, including the first 3D-printed car. He's a fellow of ASME and SME. And welcome, Dr. Love. Thanks for agreeing to uh, do this. No problem. Oak Ridge and yourself have been involved in, in advanced manufacturing and 3D printing research for some time now. Automotive work garnered a lot of the early attention, I believe. So now you're branching off, you're getting into wind. What are the differences between the two? What did you learn from one to get to the other?
1: there's a lot of opportunities for additive to really transform a lot of different industries. And, and you're right. I think automotive has, has leaned in and, and is doing a lot in, in its very competitive environment, mostly focused on smaller components. I think this whole electrification of vehicles is going to provide a lot of opportunities for additive to have a, a big play in automotive. But one of the areas that I'm really passionate about is, is very large scale 3d printing. And, and the reason is, is, additive is really good at low volume complex parts i think this is starting to change where you can also do high volume but but by and large it's really targeted towards low volume production and there's a lot of ways to make small things and usually when you're making small things you're making a lot of things when you start talking big things uh there's not a lot of processes that you can use so additive Additive really has a sweet spot for, for 3D printing very large structures, and so you know, like we're we're working with, uh, with, with a lot of different companies. Uh, we've worked with Cincinnati Incorporated for now, gosh, six seven years on large scale composite printing, and there's other companies that are now that are now making the machines like Thermwood, Ingersoll, and there. Like I said, we've done a lot of tooling work, tooling for air. Or for wind, for aerospace, we've been working for the past four or five years with Lincoln Electric, large-scale steel, where we're printing large steel structures. Killer application there for me is tool and die, is being able to print large stamping dies, 10,000-pound dies in, in days rather than months. It can really transform the tool and die industry. So, so I think when we start looking at these large-scale printers, there's some there's some real game changers that you can do in terms of manufacturing
0: could you describe the workings of, uh, of the large-scale printers?
1: So we have, there, there's, a, there's a couple of different processes. Uh, on the polymer side, uh, we we use thermoplastics and thermosets. Uh, but rather than, most plastic printers use a wire for the feedstock, and that really limits how fast you can go back in 2013, 2014 we started looking at changing the material and going to a pellet. So it's like injection molding material. It is injection molding material. Uh, And so you can use a single screw extruder and and melt hundreds of pounds of material an hour. So it's very very scalable, very fast. You you have a much wider range of materials that you can use. You can put in carbon fiber, glass fiber, highly load the material with, with fiber reinforcements so that's thermoplastics, um, and again, we're building parts that are that can be measured in hundreds of cubic feet in volume, at deposition rates exceeding 100 pounds of material an hour. Um, we also are working with a company, Magnus Venus Products, on thermosets. So now, instead of instead of having pellets, you can have barrels of of resins, you know, epoxies, th- uh, thermosets that you can pump in and mix and put down. Uh, And so this, you can make very large structures, it solves some of the layer-to-layer problems that we have with typical plastic printing. Um, And then the large-scale metal, these are mostly welding systems, so rather than using a powder, uh, we're using wire, we're working with Lincoln Electric, and and my favorite machine right now is called Medusa. It's a turntable, that's about two meters in diameter, uh, with three robots around the periphery, and so as the table turns, the robots are working together to grow this big steel part. Right now, we're putting down about 40 pounds of steel an hour, uh, making parts that are about two meters in diameter, two meters tall. Uh, but we're, we're modifying and working with Lincoln Electric on a on a much faster process that'll get us over 100 pounds of steel an hour. So as you start looking and making something a big stamping die, something that weighs 10,000 pounds, you should be able to do it in a few days uh, when, when all is said and done. Uh, Lincoln is is building a factory up in Cleveland, Ohio, with like around 20 or 30 of these machines already doing a lot of tooling for the aerospace and automotive industry. So
0: the next question is going to be, uh, how soon before this gets to market? And you're telling me it's pretty soon.
1: It's it's moving fast. So when we first started working with Lincoln Electric back around 2016, 2017, they made a very strategic decision to, they, they were concerned if they just start selling the machines they would be just inundated with questions. And so they needed to learn. And so we've been working with them now for probably four or five years on maturing the technology. And what, they, what they've what they done is they've built this factory up in Cleveland. And they have, I, they call it the Beehive. And the reason is they've got about 20 of these machines and they're running lights out printing Big, big duck tooling like Invar tooling for aerospace, hot stamp dies for automotive. They're learning the limits of the technology. They're becoming very proficient at how to use the technology and, and applying it to industrial applications. I think what they'll do is, is they, as they get to the point where they're very comfortable with it, then they'll, they're starting now to provide these systems to universities to help with a lot of the, the material data sets. And then I think within the next few years, you'll start to see them selling the machines. But they've spent the last few years really becoming proficient at the technology. It will be a game changer for, for the tool and dye industry. It, it will to me, I'm really excited about it because if you if you look at the tool and dye industry, it's really eroded in the United States over the past 30 years. And, and this is a way to get it back by, by really leapfrogging uh, the, the, the technology and having a whole new way of doing it.
0: Let's get back to wind for a moment. Wind yep. energy is an emerging market for AM. Yep. So what areas within the industry does AM hold the biggest promise?
1: So we've, we've worked with uh, TPI on the wind turbine molds using the large scale composite printing to print the tooling. We've worked with Vestas on nacelles, printing components and tooling for manufacturing the nacelles. We've also worked with Vestas on the large scale steel printing there's a lot of a lot of really complex internal structures metallic structures that are inside the nacelle. And so we've worked with them on using the large-scale metal printing to print some of these these complex structures. You would think that weight wouldn't matter, but it really does when you start talking about these massive generators. The longer the wind turbine blades, the taller the tower, the higher they have to get that generator up there. So weight becomes a, a real issue. And then the tower itself, we've worked with GE Renewables. They're interested in 3D printing the towers in the field. So we've worked with GE Renewables on printed wind turbine towers, partnering with Oshkosh, who has the cement trucks and JLG cranes, and then Quickcrete, who's working, who's, who's helping us with the formulations of the cement. So it's really kind of bringing everybody together on one project. GE defining the requirements for the tower, Oshkosh providing the the systems for pumping. The material and this is this system is called Skybam. It's a lot like the cameras you see in football stadiums where you have a cable driving a camera around you have a set of cables that that are in tension that drive the cable around. what we're doing is we have a cement truck that's pumping cement into a pump that then goes to the top of the crane it comes down a hose and then you have these cable drives that that move the, the nozzle around depositing cement. So it's very large scale printing, very, very fast. It puts down about 2,000 pounds of cement an hour and it's made to be portable. So you can take this system out in the field and deploy it within about a half hour. But there's also a, a niche market in smaller scale systems. And so we work with companies like Amerisys on 3D printing the cores for small wind turbine generators, things that are on the order of a couple of meters in diameter. So using, using the 3D printing to print cores, they can, I can go on and on and on on wind.
0: So uh, what's been the biggest challenge so far in, in, in getting all this stood up? Is it, is it scale? Yeah, I, th- I,
1: think, I think there's a couple of things. Number one is, is, especially on wind, we think that the aerospace industry has big wings. Well, they're, they're, they're a fraction of the size of some of these wind turbine blades. You know, the, the, some of the blades are, are approaching 100 meters. Uh, you know that's a football field, and so scaling to that size—that's why I really like large-scale printing. Is if you look at the camera systems, like we talk about the the SkyBAM, how can we automate these things through additive to to be able to produce them faster and cheaper? We have to to go bigger to scale in terms of power production. And we have to go cheaper to be competitive. I think additive holds the keys to do that. But nobody makes printers this size.
0: Wow. It brings me to my next question. So you folks at Oak Ridge were key in the development of large-scale yeah. large printers. So, so if you would, talk a little bit about their further development and use. Are they going to go bigger? What needs to be tweaked?
1: I think what, what has me really excited like Ingersoll uh, had delivered to the University of Maine, one of their large scale printers. And what's interesting about it is they're printing it at 45 degrees. So rather than doing layer by layer going up, they're printing at 45 degrees. Now what's really interesting about this is you could easily see, instead of of having the, the gantry system moving, growing the part, why can't you feed the part through the printer? And so you can have effectively an infinite scale in terms of printing. So I think that some of these new kinematic structures and these new designs of printers lend themselves really well to printing very large parts without having to have a massive printer. Uh, And so I think that there's some really creative ideas out there on how to print parts that are bigger than the machine. That's really interesting.
0: You've been at this a while now. So what's the most exciting area of this research? Uh,
1: there's there's a couple of areas. I, I tell people I feel like Walt Disney of manufacturing. In the MDF, we have just about every type of technology. And we have really good partnerships. You hear me rattle off all these companies we work with. We work with over 100 different companies. And all of them have really creative ideas. And, and I tell people we really... They usually industry has 80% of the solution. And we're just trying to provide a last little bit of, of help to get them over the finish line. Uh, and so there's a couple of new technologies that are coming out that I'm really excited about. I, I really love hybrid machines and hybrid processes, uh, especially as you start talking about printing these big structures. How do you machine them? And how do you get to net shape? So some of these hybrid processes where you're blending additive and subtractive together, Is really exciting. Also, like we're working with GE on a new powder bed system called uh, Saturn. So most powder bed systems, I've not been really enamored with them because they all look the same. I like different rides. I like different technologies. And, And like I said, I feel like the MDF is Disney World for manufacturing because every year, every every few months, we get a new ride, we get a new technology. And so with GE, we're developing Saturn, where most powder bed systems, you have a plate, and you're raking powder down, and you're welding, then you're lowering, raking, welding, and you're just growing this thing layer by layer by layer. It's slow. The lasers or the E-beams are only on a fraction of the time. Most of the time is spent preparing the powder bed. Saturn is different. It's kind of like the Medusa I was talking about where we have a rotary table. So now your powder bed is rotating. And you have multiple heads that are simultaneously putting powder down and welding at the same time so you're doing a double helix so now you cu- you've coupled the deposition of the powder and the welding at the same time where the welders are on constantly and what has me excited about this is if you look at the machine tool industry there's lots of different types of machine tools and they all are used for different types of products In additive, we've made this, I think there's been this philosophy, well, one machine can make anything, but usually that means you're not going to do anything really good, right? It's kind of like the old shopsmith in machine tools. It It could do anything, but it could do nothing really good. So I think we need to get to a place where additive, we have specialized machines for specialized products. And and I think as we start looking at tubular type structures, at engine nozzles, at anything that's tubular in shape, we may go to a different geometry, a different kinematic structure. And so I'm really excited about that in in seeing some of these new platforms coming out that are radically different. Also on the machine, seeing machine tool manufacturers get into additive is really exciting because they can scale. You know, most additive machines are made by people that are very innovative entrepreneurs that came up with great ideas in terms of a process. And then they try to build a machine tool around it. Now what we're seeing are machine tool manufacturers that can scale. They can produce thousands of machines a year that are getting into additive. And they have already 80% of the solution. They got the machine tool. All they need is some help on the process. So so I think that, that we're at a tipping point in terms of additive because I think we're going to see a lot of these machine tool manufacturers be able to produce thousands or tens of thousands of very high performance additive machines per year. So you could see a step function in terms of systems out in the marketplace and a step function in terms of reduction in cost and increase in performance. So I think this is a very critical time. And, and you know, you, you mentioned the automotive. I see a lot of parallels in ad, with the additive industry that I see with the robotics industry. I was in, in college in the 80s, and I've, I was enamored with robotics. And in the 80s, at ro- the robotics industry pivoted, and it, and it transformed into a, a real industry because automotive figured it out. You know, Automotive understood, and the technology got mature enough and reliable enough and low cost enough that they could populate their factories full of of robots to where now when you go into an automotive manufacturing plant, there's hundreds of robots. It's a symphony of automation. And, And I think that there's parallels to the additive industry for the past 20 years, much like in the 50s and 60s and 70s, the robotics industry was really focused on just research and trying to mature the technology in the 80s, it pivoted and became a real manufacturing process. I think we're going to see the same thing in the 2020s, where the the automotive industry is really going to drive additive and push it to the point where they can do mass production. They will be extremely reliable. And we'll go from having hundreds to thousands of metal powder bed systems to hundreds of thousands of metal printers much like we have today, hundreds of thousands of industrial robots in the marketplace. What has to be done to get to that point? Reliability. There's a couple of people that I consider titans of additive, and Greg Morris was one of them. And he owned Morse Technologies that was bought by GE. And he's one of those, the best uh, additive engineers I've ever met. Him and, and Scott Crump and, and Chuck Hall. Those are the three... To me the three titans of additive and, and greg said that there's a law of four which is every time you print something for the first time it takes you about four times to get it right once you figure out the recipe then you can get it to where it's in production but we've got to take additive from being kind of an art form to a science to where it's extremely reliable the design tools the machine tools the materials the processes are six sigma. It's, we got to get to where it's a, instead of a one sigma, a two sigma process, a six sigma process. That has to happen. And there has to be focus on that.
0: Well, we're going to have to leave the conversation here. And thanks for taking the time to talk with us, Dr. Love. I'm very happy to do so. It's very exciting times. Thanks to everyone for listening. My name again is John Kosowicz. Please go to your favorite podcast app to listen to other ASME techcasts.